Hi, this is Donna Bearstein, founder and publisher of To Ferret Journal. It's my pleasure this evening to welcome New York Times best-selling author Jacqueline Sheehan to this month's To Ferret Talk interview. Jacqueline is not only a best-selling author, but also a psychologist. She lives and works in New England, although in the past she has spent 20 years living in Oregon, California, and New Mexico, doing a full spectrum of jobs, including house painting, photography, freelance journalism, clerking in a health food store, and directing a traveling high school puppeteers. Jacqueline's wonderful novels include The Comet's Tale, a novel about Sojourner Truth, Lost and Found, Now and Then, and Picture This. Her most recent book, The Center of the World, was published just this month by Kensington. Jacqueline Sheehan also writes commentaries for National Public Radio, travel articles, short stories, and essays that have appeared in the New York Times Modern Love column. Jacqueline edited the anthology Women Writing in Prison. Jacqueline has been awarded residencies at Hawthornden Castle in Scotland and Gentel Arts Colony in Wyoming. She teaches workshops at Grub Street in Boston and Writers in Progress in Florence, Massachusetts. She also teaches writing workshops in Jamaica, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, and Guatemala. To find out more about Jacqueline Sheehan, please visit her website, JacquelineSheehan.com, after you listen to our chat. Welcome, Jacqueline. Well, thank you, Donna. That was a lovely introduction. Well, you have such a wonderful, wonderfully varied resume. Um, <laughs> I did try and hit a lot of high spots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I know that one of the last things mentioned in the introduction was the writing workshops that you give around the world, um, one of which occurs in Guatemala, which is the setting of your most recent novel, The Center of the World. And I love this book. I just finished it last week, as I mentioned, um, and was completely pulled in by um, this fascinating story that you tell that goes back and forth between 1990s Guatemala and 2003 Massachusetts. So I wonder if you would tell us a little bit, I'm going to have you read an excerpt, but before that if you could tell us about your connection with Guatemala and the seeds of the story. Right, thank you. Um, it, you know, I started going to Guatemala in 2006, and it just happened to come on the heels of a, a time period for me, you know, that where it had been sort of a perfect storm of a few months before going to Guatemala. My mother had died. I had been um, a mental health specialist with the Red Cross uh, in New Orleans uh, after Katrina, um, and my job um, at a college as a, a director of psychology, it, um, you know, it just had lost its glow a little bit. I still loved working with the, the students, but I knew I was ready to move on to something different. And so I um, attended this writing and yoga retreat, and it was 
very much of a life-changing experience. It was held in the Mayan highlands of Guatemala, very, very remote area, um, on the shores of Lake Atitlan, one of the largest lakes in Central America. And I was very struck by the uh, durability, the sensibilities of the Mayan people who populate the area, as well as the uh, expats who lived in who live in Guatemala, who have taken enormous chances in their life to um, strike out and live a creative lifestyle, doing something that they have always wanted to do, but they chose to do it in Guatemala and um, live amongst people where, you know, they are the out they are the outsiders. They are the ones who don't know the language well, and. Um, it was a very life-changing experience for me. It made me um, realize I wanted to be the full-time writer. I didn't want to be the part-time writer anymore. I had uh, written one book. One book was um, yet to be, the second book was yet to be published. And um, I, it helped me make a choice. It helped me decide um, I am I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to pursue writing to the the highest degree that I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So when you went down to leave this writing and yoga workshop, did you plan on staying there quite a while or or how long did you stay um, there? Yeah, no, the, and the first time I went down there, I was not leading anything. I was just attending. Um, I did oh, leave I workshops okay. after that. But, um so I think I only stayed there a total of two weeks. But in the years since, I've gone down every almost every year since, um, there are some years where I go down there and I stay for a month. There are other times when I stay a little more, a little less. Um, you know, but I have um, been able to get to know the people. And as I got to know the people uh, in the area a bit more every time, um, you know, I only became you know, more enthralled with the area and more respectful of the the struggles that the Mayan people have had been through, both politically um, and uh, economically. They're, mm-hmm. th- these are the most resilient people I think I have ever encountered. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and Without giving too much away, the, the center of the world is is about a rather is a rather unusual adoption of a child from Guatemala. And again, um, before you read an excerpt, did you hear about adoption issues while you were there? Did you hear similar stories, or or actually, if you'd like to read the excerpt before answering that, that's fine. Um, well, let let me answer it a little bit, and then I'll read the one of the okay. excerpts. Um, so, uh, yeah, I did um, run into people who ran adoption agencies in Guatemala. And um, during the 36-year uh, war that Guatemala endured, um, the adoption uh, business thrived quite a bit. Uh, you know, when there is a disaster happening in a country, um, there are war orphans, and there are m- many reasons um, that 
um, orphans uh, exist and are available for adoption. So I did run into people who were involved in that. But by the time I began going to Guatemala, that, because they were now in peaceful times, really the the, um, the source of available children really no longer existed. Uh, Mayan people, like people all over the world, love their children. They want their children to be with them. It is only under the most extreme circumstances that people give up their children. Um, so I did mention that there was a, a very long war in uh, Guatemala that um, was finally over in um, 1996. Uh, so the story is about a young American graduate student, uh, Kate Malloy, who is uh, studying water. She's a water analyst, and she's in Guatemala collecting information for her uh, doctoral research. And she's pretty immune, um, being a North American, to the troubles, the uh, political troubles that are happening in Guatemala. And and that that is very true toward the end of the war. That would have been quite true. Um, but but um, she learns to um, she becomes very close with particular people in the Mayan community, and it starts to have a different sensibility with um, the militia who are in this small village. And here's a little bit of Kate, a 24 year old Kate, encountering some of the militia who are occupying this village area. She came to a corner and bumped into four men dressed in alligator green fatigues and black boots that came just shy of their knees. The boots looked hard, like they could bite. They wore sunglasses and carried guns with ammo. One gun touched her, its oiled menace grazing her chest. The militia had carte blanche. They could do anything they wanted. One of the soldiers smiled. The other three looked like they had stopped smiling a long time ago. Lo siento, she said. Sorry for what? Sorry that right now everyone on the street was watching and trying hard not to look like they're watching? Everyone is wondering, will this be the day that even the protection of white skin falls away? One of the skinny, unsmiling soldiers placed the butt of his gun dead center on her left breast and used it to push her aside. So that is Kate encountering, on a slightly more personal level, um, the oppression that the Mayan people experienced on a minute-by-minute -minute basis in those bad years yeah. of, of the and, military. And so I'm, I'm guessing you met people who had lived through the Civil War and um, talked to them about their experiences, and did you do additional well, research um, as well? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, um, I tried to do that. It's um, sort of important to keep in mind that with the Mayan people, um, you know, Spanish is not their first language, and the Spanish is certainly not my first language. So we have to go through three layers of language to communicate, and it's always very, very hard. Um, and as well, 
many of the people who I um, came to know and love in Guatemala were quite a bit younger. You know, they were young women in their 20s and even 30s, but um, they um, did not remember much of that occupation. It is more their parents and their grandparents. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the things that uh, groups would do every year when we went to Guatemala is that we would meet with a Mayan shaman, um, mm. and experience one of the ceremonies that the oh. um, that the shamans would do, which was a, um, called a healing ceremony. And it, it gave me a chance to talk with a shaman uh, every time that we were down there. And they, were, they tended to be older. And so with mm. one of the shamans, I was able to ask him about um, what it was like. You know, he, he was a very sort of um, zen calm man until I asked him about what it was like when the militia were coming and going through the villages, sometimes committing atrocities. And and this wonderful man was just massively sad. It was, he was sort of a combination of sad and angry that that had ever, ever happened to his people. Um, mm. And it was nothing that he would ever forget but as i have said the mayan people are hugely resilient and are making a wonderful comeback mm-hmm. well your descriptions of their culture and the languages in fact the difficulty of the languages is a key feature in the book and in one of the characters and and um i know you mentioned in your acknowledgments that you had had some help with the language which I'm not going to be able to pronounce, but that starts with a K. Um, Catch a cow. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, so, would you like to share anything else from the uh, the shaman healing ritual as well? Um, did you do ayahuasca with that or ayahuasca? Um, yeah, you know, it's pretty fascinating. Um, you know. I think as North Americans, sometimes, well, I should just speak for myself, you know, going into uh, villages where you can see that, you know, there's a fair amount of uh, poverty, there's still a fair amount of uh, illness, especially if water supplies are not uh, completely safe. And um, I am likely to think, oh, I have so many things from my world that I could share here that are superior that are better and it is only when i'm there for a longer amount of time when i realize oh no wait there are so many things that i can learn from the mayan people that are uh, far more interesting uh, also superior um, and very very valuable um, that i can learn as well and Mm -hmm. one of those things i learned from the shaman i talked with um, in this case, a young shaman. He's sort of a shaman in training. And he was giving me some advice about something. Um, my father had died when I was very young. I was nine years old, and we were talking about that. And he said, well, of course you um, light candles when you go to your father's grave and visit him and honor him, don't you? And there was this long pause when I thought, well, no, no, I don't. I have never done that. And he was appalled. 
that um, someone as close to me as my father uh, had died, and I did not honor him in that way. Mm. And he said, I think that is why you North Americans are depressed. It is because you, yeah, it is because you do not honor your ancestors. Yeah. In the Mayan world, ancestors are ever present. They are present yeah. every minute of the day. Mm-hmm. And that was and a wonderful thing. And in dreams thing. as well. In dreams as well. Um, in yes. the novel, certainly, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a lovely, have lovely descriptions of ancestors appearing in the character's dreams, too. Um, so that, did you begin then going to your father's grave with a lit candle? Well, um, I um, I went to his grave more often after that. Um, I did not light candles there. I brought other little things there. But I uh-huh, did at uh-huh. times when I wanted to feel like I, well, I want to feel like I can communicate with him or with other people mm-hmm. who had passed. I will now very mm-hmm. often... Uh, set up a little altar on my fireplace mantle, light some candles, spend some time honoring them in some way. Um, And it's been a a huge improvement for me of of feeling like, you know, I'm not 100% separated from those who have gone before me. Uh, We are still connected. That's lovely. That's so wonderful. And, and, um, you know, that that theme of connection is something else too that stands out in all of the all of your books that I've read. That this theme of of connection between people in our contemporary lives and in those who have come before us. Um, mm. Thank you. And I'm sure that that parallels your work as a psychologist. Um, in many ways, and I wonder if you'd like to, if you would be willing to talk a little bit about how your training as a psychologist or your experiences as a psychologist have helped you um, developing fictional characters. Well, I think it's helped in a, a couple of ways. Um, it, you know, when I um, I usually tell people that for me, in a strange way. Doing clinical work with individual people and writing stories is so much the same for me. Um, And by that, I mean that, you know, when someone comes to therapy, um, it is not usually the best day of their life. It is usually one of the harder days of their life. That's why they're there. So they are a person who has come up against something that they can't find their way around. They've come up against um, something that is hard. They can't see their way around it. It's a huge conflict. And Mm -hmm. my work as a therapist is to work with them and to look at this with different eyes, develop different coping mechanisms, see other ways around this. Um, And hopefully in the end, the client is in some way changed and um, something has been added to their life, not taken away from their life. Something has been added. And that's really so much of what fiction is like. You have a character who comes up against a gigantic conflict and in the process of 
battling this conflict. They will be in some way transformed. Something will be very different on this journey. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about psychology that I feel so I'm so grateful to psychology is that it truly helps me um, understanding psychology to understand motivation of characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read um, fiction where characters were just doing things that it, it, there was no you, you couldn't it's, possibly understand why they were doing what they were doing mm-hmm. you couldn't mm-hmm. the motivation wasn't clear mm-hmm. um and in psychology um that is one of the things that you know has to be understood you know why is someone doing Acting what they're doing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you have to yeah. dig deep to do you have to dig deep to do that. It's not just a surface look at someone either either in in your psychology practice or on the written page uh, right right and yeah. and and you know the deeper the better um mm-hmm. you know i i I think you know if we just skim the surface with each other and if we just skim the surface with our characters, we're doing a huge disservice but if we're really willing to take a risk and go as deep as we can you know that's when people that's when people really get close to each other that's when we get close to a character yes and i personally think at that deep level there's such there's such a almost mystical sense of connection and you know um again both horizontally and vertically um and we have one of our authors actually working now on an essay about depression and spirituality, which, which it's very interesting what you mentioned about the shaman and and how people feel connected spiritually to to whatever they choose and to other human beings on an emotional and mental level um, and physical. So, you know, it's all these layers where we where we want connection, we want union. Right, right. Are you we want are you to feel connected? Uh-huh. Do you see um, clients now, or are you writing full time? Well, after I left uh, my job at um, a university counseling center, I did uh, part time private practice for a number of years, and then about three years ago, I finally closed my private practice because I realized. Um, I could make a go of it uh, full-time with writing. You know, it's mm-hmm. an uneven business <laughs> to be in, as you mm-hmm. probably know. But um, I am so happy. I, You know, it's one of those situations where every day I just need to take a breath, look out at the horizon and say, wow, isn't this amazing? It's amazing that I could make a living doing this. It's wonderful. Um can you tell us a little bit about your process writing in the morning or how do you how do you usually work? Um well that's my best time of day um is the morning. Uh-huh. I think in this world there are morning people and there are night people. Um uh-huh. I know a married couple where he gets up at 6 and he said, "I think my wife wakes up at 10:30 at night. Has anyone seen her?" <laughs> but I'm a morning person. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, so I probably write 
most from about 9 to 12 or 9 to 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I will do other things, you know, later in the afternoon. Right now I have to do a lot of promotion things. Um, for which, this really helpful. Uh, yeah, yeah, for this for the center of the world, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm so glad to do. I actually like I like doing that. Um, and then I I very often uh, print out what I have written the day before. I, you know, I go I burn through tons of paper and tons of ink that way. But I much prefer being curled up in a chair, looking at a paper page, and circling and crossing things out and doing it always on a computer. Um, of course, I work mm-hmm. primarily on a computer, but I think we all need breaks from the computer screen. Right. Um, I, right. Do, I do lots and lots of research for all of my books, um, and that has to that usually comes right along as I'm writing. I'll do some research before a book starts, but almost always it's the kind of uh, continuously happening as I'm, I'm as I'm writing as well. Mm-hmm. And and with when you have gone to Guatemala, do you take your laptop with you and write there too? I do. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and okay, what's so sort of wonderful about what was that, Donna? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say that sometimes what, what is sort of wonderful about being in Guatemala is that you might not have Wi-Fi, um, which eliminates all of that distraction of Facebook and intern, you know, emails and all of that. It is sort of astounding how much work you can get done without that drain on your time. Yeah, that's. That's a real gift. That's good. Yeah. Um, again, as I mentioned to you, I could not wait to finish The Center of the World. I just found it so um, compelling to read. And as an adoptive mother myself, that issue rang you know, true on certain levels and just the connection between Kate and her adopted daughter and uh, so many things about the book were were, were engaging to me. And as I also said to you, there are three chapters at the end that are a preview of your next novel, um, and I read those, and I'm looking forward to the next one as well. So um, before we end tonight, I'd love it if you could tell some of our listeners about other upcoming promotional events you have or when to look for the ne- this book, or the, I'm sorry, where to look for this book and when to look for the next one. Well, the center of the world um, is out. It is everywhere. Uh, it's available at all the major outlets and through Amazon. Um, a friend of mine just told me, and it is in the airport. <laughs> um, oh, great. That's a coup. Congratulations. I know. Thank you very much. Yeah, and um, the official book launch will be here in Massachusetts in Northampton, Um uh, this coming, or not not this coming Sunday, but Sunday the 24th at 3 o'clock. I know that won't apply for most of your listeners, but um, there are other um, opportunities. I am leaving with the wonderful yoga teacher, Jane Mortify, a week of writing and yoga in Jamaica in November. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I will have information on my webpage um, about that, just in case there are any listeners out there who would like to spend a week um, in a completely different environment, writing and doing yoga. And I will be at the Tucson Book Festival in March. I'm Ah. very much looking forward to that. I think that is March 12th through the 14th. Mm-hmm. And I will be part of Women Reading Aloud in Secret, New Jersey, uh, run by Julie Maloney. But that is sold out, as as her um, events so often sell out very, very quickly. And yeah. the last one that I can think of is um, Grub Street in Boston has a, a very, very large conference called The Muse, M-U-S-E, and that is held at the, uh, I think, the, I think April 29th through May 1st this year, and I will also be doing some workshops at that conference. Great, great. And then finishing the next novel in between. Yeah, finishing the next one. Actually, the deadline for that is Just really months. coming up so quickly, the end of this month, yes. Well, I really appreciate and, your taking. Yeah, go ahead. And Donna, I wanted to say, I hope this is okay, but I wanted to say congratulations to you. I just saw that you had an essay accepted at Reader's Digest. Writer's, that, Writer's Digest, right, yeah. Writer's Digest, yes, that was That was great news this morning, unexpected happiness. Yes, so that's wonderful. <laughs> Great. So on that crafted fiction show, that'll be fun to see. Um, so anyway, but I really have enjoyed talking to you, and you mentioned the Women Reading Aloud, uh, writing workshops in Seagirt, New Jersey, which are run by Julie Maloney and you, and having been there, I know why they're always sold out. Uh, they're fabulous. And, get, you know, get on the waiting list if you can. So. Um, but I really, I, I love your writing, uh, your presence, and I thank you so much for sharing some of your time with Tafara Talk tonight, Jacqueline. Oh, you are so welcome. And I can't wait to read that essay that's coming up in Writer's Digest. Oh, well, and I can't re- wait to read the, your next novel, so you <laughs> should have finished that this month. All right, I thank will. Thank you so much, Jacqueline, and enjoy the rest of the week. All right, Donna. So nice to talk to you. You too. Hope to see you again. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being with us tonight, and thank you to all our listeners as well. Please do visit Jacqueline's website, JacquelineSheehan.com, and also visit the website of Teferret Journal, Teferret, T-I-F-E-R-E-T, Journal.com. While there, you can find information about our current writing contest, which awards $1,500 in prizes in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. You'll also find information about an upcoming dialogue panel we will be hosting with the Writer's Circle in Montclair, New Jersey, on Saturday, February 27th in Montclair. You can find details on the website. Please also note that we will have a Teferet author reading at the Bernersville Library in Bernersville, New Jersey on April 24th. Again, the website www.teferetjournal.com. 
you'll see there the definition of the word teferet, which is a Hebrew word that means compassion, heart, and reconciliation of opposites, which to my mind is something very important for us in today's world. Thank you again for listening.